The views and opinions of today's broadcast are not necessarily the views and opinions of the TJRS Radio Network. Thank you for being a loyal listener and enjoy the show. Online radio at its best. You are listening to the TJRS Radio Network. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Good morning, and welcome to the serious side of the Jay Rouse Show, the show where we discuss politics, social issues affecting people of color, and every now and then a little comedy as well. Now here's your host, Jay Ryle. Thank you so much for the wonderful introduction, and good morning. Today is April 30th, 2023, and here are the topics that will be discussed on this week's edition of the Serious Side of the Jay Ryle Show. Sadly, we'll probably never get to find out what Tucker Carlson had to say about that. You know, there are a lot of new details about what may have led to Fox News suddenly parting ways with Tuck, according to the New York Times, the day before the Dominion defamation trial was supposed to start, the Fox Board of Directors learned about more covert Tucker Carlson texts that were peppered with highly offensive and crude remarks directed at executives. These texts were said to be so offensive, Fox didn't know whether to fire Carlson or to give him another hour on primetime. The white woman who accused 14-year-old Emmett Till of whistling at her and making sexual advances has died. Turning now to Capitol Hill, where Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts has declined an invitation to testify at a congressional hearing regarding ethics rules for members of the Supreme Court. Let's go and get back to our breaking news as promised, because we have learned in the last half hour, the former Brooklyn Center police officer convicted of shooting and killing Dante Wright during a traffic stop two years ago Released from prison early this morning. Online radio at its best. Dear Heavenly Father, as the new day dawns and the sun rises, I come before you with an open heart and mind. I give you thanks for this day and for the gift of life. I ask for your guidance and wisdom as I face the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead. I pray for your strength to overcome obstacles and for your love to be present in all my thoughts and actions. Please, Father, Bless my family and friends, and bring peace and joy to their hearts. I trust in your goodness and faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for your endless love, care, and blessings. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 to 23 To you, Father, I give all the praise, honor, and glory. 
in Jesus name I pray amen Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two is the uh, caller number. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two is the caller number. Welcome into the serious side. Of course, I'm Jay Wow. Thank you for spending a portion of this Sunday with us. Hopefully, you are experiencing some great weather. Mr. Elias and uh, Vanessa May Bell, they are off this morning. But my brother from another mother, who was here last week for the first time in a very long time. It's once again in the house, my main man, Mr. Johnny D, and the place to be, my brother. What's going on, man? Good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I am blessed. Like I say, God is God. He's giving me an opportunity to wake up this morning and go work with some fine young men that I'm working with. Youth basketball, some other things that I'm doing. Just glad to be back. Like I say, Kind of pinch hitting for Miss Celeste and uh, Miss Vanessa. Jay, like I say, I, I'm just thankful for our relationship and brotherhood for the last 37 years, and you allow me an opportunity to uh, do what I do. Like I say, this was always a, it, it, it was therapy for me being a, 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 a regular uh, contributor on the serious side and now having the chance. Last week and this week here, uh, so God knows me. I was a chance to do it again, but I certainly want to be part of this experience, knowing that you had those two heavy ones. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Now, your audio is uh, it's it's kind of hard to make out some of the things that you're saying. I wanted you to finish your thoughts. I didn't want to interrupt, but but yeah, it sounds like maybe you're mobile. So if you are, yeah, it's it's the audio is a little bit off. It's hard to hear a little bit. But, uh, you know, we'll get through it. Thank you so much for being here. I heard most of that. And, you know, always the feeling is neutral um, as far as the relationship that we have, uh, the brotherhood that we have. And I tell people all the time, I consider myself one of the most blessed people on the face of this planet because at the end of the day, I have people who I do not share the same DNA with that I love just as much as my own brothers and sisters and that I would be willing to lay my life down for. And it's just a good place to be and to know that you can step off an edge and don't have to ever worry about hitting the bottom because you know that there are safety nets out there. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you don't experience that, if you can't experience that, you know, hey, I feel for you because I feel blessed. And I know that a lot of the people that I run with feel the same way. They know that at the end of the day, uh, you know, I got you. And if I have to do without in order for you to be able to survive, then I'll do that because that's how much my love is for these individuals that I you know, that I share this path with. So I appreciate you, man, as always. And, uh, you know, working with young men, you just don't understand the type of influence that you have on these young people and that what type of impact you will have on them for the rest of their lives. Uh, There are people that I've worked with uh, when I was young, and I still, when I even talk to the younger generation, uh, invoke these names of folks who were instrumental in the development of my life. So, Man, continue to do what you do, brother. And, uh, you know, I love your man to the moon and back. And that's likewise. Absolutely. The number is three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. Once again, if you're familiar with the show's format, this is where we kind of wrap and clap, talk about things that will not be on the main agenda for the day. And, you know, first and foremost, we have to talk about the passing of a legend. 
Harry Belafonte died this week. You know, Johnny, uh, man, when I when I think about his accomplishments, folks always, in some circles at least, try to minimize, you know, the impact that an entertainer can have on society. But in this case, there's no way you can find a way to minimize the impact that Harry Belafonte has had on society, uh, on this nation, and of course, on our race. But give me your thoughts on the passing of this great, 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 great legend, civil rights and entertainer. You know, he was just that. Uh, hopefully, my audio is improved. I am mobile, so uh, I should be. It's a lot better. It's a lot better. In, in a while. So, you know, the truth of the matter is, is, if you think about the origin of, you know, African Americans, uh, it, it was always based off of entertainment. So, our early pioneers, as far as individuals who had influence, came from an entertainment field because that's where, seemingly, you know, we were allowed to have value and fame. You know, one of the persons that, uh, to include Harry Belafonte, and I'm talking about him, was Paul Robeson. You know, when I started studying his significance and, you know, his, his political prowess and just, you know, his, his hunger for social uh, reform. Uh, it was powerful, and Harry Belafonte was was as well, you know. And I think initially when I started hearing about his name, you know, it, it was that that K Ho, you know, that that Jamaican Caribbean sound, yeah. and all Absolutely. of a sudden you see his presence, and you know, a, a, a very you know a, a appealing gentleman, you know, uh, to the ladies and, and everything. So. He was a person who, even though he was outside of my era, he was one that we would oftentimes refer to, uh, kind of like the, the new Denzel Washington. You know, we, we talked about yeah. Harry Belafonte and Billy D. Williams, you know, so I'm yeah. going to date myself. But that was that was kind of the names that people would throw out when they wanted to say, you know what, that guy got some, 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 some pizzazz about him. He did, but he had substance, man. I mean, I didn't know until probably I was in my mid-30s that he was so yeah. prevalent with Dr. King and the civil rights. Now, again, yeah. I, I, grew, I came up in, in you know, African-American schools and did not really know the contributions and the significance of a lot of our African-Americans. So to find out that Harris Belafonte was, you know, that prominent in the civil rights movement and then to see all that he, that he accomplished in the early days of film when, you know, uh, African-Americans had limited roles and he was, you know, cast as, as, as a leading figure, that right there speaks for himself. And like I say, God bless him, God bless his family and the accomplishments that he has left and the imprint that he's left on all of America, not just, you know, blacks in America, but all of America. So, again, God bless him and his family. Absolutely, man. Well, well said. And uh, yeah, so folks, we we do apologize. It's it's his audio is decent, so he's moving. But you know, listen, I mean, good gracious, man, what a tribute! Uh, um, and like you said, man, he he was, you know, Harry Belafonte. 
um, you know, I think the first time I actually knew of him, I think I saw him in one of the, uh, was it Uptown Saturday Night? I can't remember which one it was. But I also remember him at Buck and the Preacher. I mean, so it's like, but you're right. I didn't realize until, you know, uh, after I had graduated from high school how prevalent he was in the civil rights movement. But then, you know, I also started really logging in and locking in on him, I should say, when Muhammad Ali died, because I think I mentioned this on the show. When Muhammad Ali died, um, Muhammad Ali uh, is my favorite athlete of all time. Uh, a lot of people may say, oh, yeah, I thought it was Michael Jordan. You know, hey, man, I like me some Mike. But when I think about Muhammad Ali in the era in which he was prominent, in the era in which he was the man, for a black man to talk to white people the way he did is fascinating to me. And I'm like, oh, my God, do you know what type of um, you know, think about when you know we're going to talk about a story today about uh, about uh, you know Emmett Till a little later in the show, and you know think everyone knows what happened around the Emmett Till situation. He whistled, well, supposedly whistled at a white woman, and we'll definitely talk about it uh, uh, coming up. But the bottom line is, you knew you saw what happened to him. Muhammad Ali was talking to white folks crazy. He was beating up white folks. And then I didn't realize how important he was, Jim Brown was to the movement, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Harry Belafonte, all these black superstars during that time really stepping up and stepping outside of, quote, unquote, their space to deliver this message. Now, I got some different thoughts about uh, uh, Jim Brown after I found out that he, used to, he beat women. I don't respect the brother for doing that, but I digress. But, yeah, man, just once again, uh, just – an outstanding uh, brother man lived a very long life and you know God bless his family God bless him God bless his soul and we just uh, hope that more Harry Belafonte's are coming up in this new generation now switching topics let's talk about President Biden he announced that he's re- he's running for uh, he's seeking a, a re-election were you surprised by this and what do you think the end result of this whole endeavor is going to be It was certainly been forecasted. I, I don't. I don't think anyone is surprised. Um, I think that there is some strategic significance to his run. To be honest, and huh. me saying this, uh, Jay, have my audio now because I, I want people to hear. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. We can make out what you're saying. I mean, it's not good, okay. but we can definitely hear what you're saying. Go ahead. I tell you what, that sounds good now. Joe Biden is a very intelligent uh, gentleman. Uh, He's been a distinguished politician, although I don't agree with all of his political uh, decisions that he has made. But when it really boils down to it, he was supportive uh, of President Obama. And now that he is president, Regardless and in spite of what people think, he has he has done more um, within his in two years than than that reprobate did in four years. And I know that's a debate that even still in African American community, what has he done? Yeah, he hasn't lived up to all of the promises, but none of them ever do. Now, this is what I truly believe this run is about. Okay, we know okay. for a fact that. Generally, if 
Joe Biden does not run. And there's a pool of individuals that will throw their hat in the ring. I think Joe Biden will solidify the nomination, the Democratic nomination. I think Joe Biden will ultimately be reelected, uh, provided he doesn't have any gaffles. And I think after a year and a half or so, he will step down and let Kamala Harris have her significant place in the history. Now, whether or not people, you know, agree with her or what have you, she can't win the ticket, okay? Right. America will not allow her to win the ticket. And the vice president's role is typically minimized and reduced, although she gets a, a harsher, she hasn't done anything than others because of her significant role as being the first African-American uh, vice president. I think mm-hmm. that there is some strategy behind this here because I know that, uh, again, the the party itself is mm-hmm. not as stable as, as it should. But Joe Biden stabilizes being at the top of the ticket. Not a lot of people going to come at him. If right. Kamala Harris was at the ticket, I think you would have more people that would be chirping at her and ultimately mm-hmm. would result in a Republican getting elected as the president. So I think it's some, yeah. some strategy here, and yep. uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I, I do think that this is a, a cause and effect, meaning right. I'll get the presidency, and at some point I'm going to step down and let you assume that role. I, I do think that that's, that's part of this, this whole dynamic. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're absolutely correct. You can look at the, uh, the the ad that they launched that they used to launch the re-election bid, and uh, you know Kamala Harris was really uh, prom- uh, prominently displayed uh, in that uh, ad. So yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I agree with everything you're, you're saying. I don't think that she can win the ticket if she was at the top of the ticket. I just don't see. I don't see a path to the presidency for her, and she's done some things that have uh, that that. Have hurt her that hurt her i mean so you know when, when you're an african-american woman first vice president first female vice president first uh female african-american president first african-american uh, uh vice president regardless of gender you know you already have an x on your back and i think that some of the things so you have to run a perfect race and she's done some things that have hurt her. And, you know, I've kind of looked at her sideways. But at the end of the day, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, the next four years, if they're reelected, uh, she can hone those skills. I still don't see a pathway. But, you know, sister, go ahead and do your thing. And hopefully we can rally the troops. And who knows, maybe we can make history again. The number is 347 That is it. We have wrapped and clapped enough. Coming up next is an NPR News update. And then we'll get into the heavy lifting of the show, but before we before I step out, I just want to say one thing to our uh, sister, rich sister. Uh, you know, her mother right now is uh, in the hospital, and we pray for a safe recovery for her. We pray that God puts His hands on her and puts His hands around His arms around her family and comfort them during this. Just, um, you know, you never know what can happen from surgery. But we're praying for your rich sister. We're praying for your family. And we hope that the outcome is what God's will is all about. We'll step out, take a 
uh, take a small break, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to the serious side. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. Traveling Grace from Mr. Elias and Traveling Grace for my girl Vanessa May Belly from the Macinelli. We'll be right back after this. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Giles Snyder. In Sudan, the U.S. is helping hundreds of Americans reach the Saudi Arabian port city of Jeddah. The evacuation follows a dangerous journey. NPR's Amy Held reports it began with a government-organized convoy to the Red Sea coast as fighting persists amid a series of broken ceasefires. The U.S. had been criticized for leaving behind citizens in last weekend's daring rescue of embassy personnel. Now the State Department says it has taken extensive efforts to help get out everyone who reached out. Apparently just a fraction of the 16,000 citizens registered in Sudan. Many are dual nationals and may not want to leave. Some 300 people, including some Europeans, got on seven buses in Khartoum to travel hundreds of miles as armed drones monitored. The convoy reached Port Sudan on the Red Sea Saturday. Its destination is Saudi Arabia on the other side. Washington says it has arranged for other buses and will use them if a second convoy is needed. Amy Held, NPR News. The FBI is now leading the investigation into Friday night's mass shooting in Texas. Five people were shot dead in the small southeast Texas town of Cleveland near Houston. And the suspect is still at large. James Smith is the FBI's special agent in charge. We believe he's on foot, but we do not know. We're still trying. I mean, we have a perimeter up out there right now with Texas DPS and the Sheriff's Department. So we're still actively out there trying to locate him and bring him into custody. The suspect has been identified as 38-year-old Francisco Repeza. Police say he was intoxicated and refused a request from his neighbors to stop shooting so a baby could sleep. The victims range uh, from 8 to 31 years old and are believed to be Honduran. Flooding concerns from rising temperatures and rapid snow melt appear to be easing in California's Yosemite Valley. Yosemite National Park says the valley will be open for the day today and will fully reopen tomorrow after initially closing because of the rising Merced River. Runoff season from melting snow is a boon for the troubled Colorado River. The season won't reach its peak until June, but Alex Hager of member station KUNC reports it's off to a promising start. In western Colorado, where two-thirds of the river gets its start, snowpack is above average, with some areas still buried by double the normal amount of snow. A record-breaking winter in Utah means snow totals are well above average for this time of year, with some areas showing two, three, or even ten times as much snow as usual. This wet winter means a strong but temporary boost for the nation's largest reservoirs. But the region's water shortage is so severe, it would take half a decade of winters like this one to turn around the Colorado River crisis. In the meantime, deep snow should buy water managers more time to cut back on demand. For NPR News, I'm Alex Hager in Fort Collins, Colorado. This is NPR News. Carlson had to say about that. You know, there are a lot of new details about what may have led to Fox News suddenly parting ways with Tuck, according to the New York Times. The day before the Dominion defamation trial was supposed to start, the Fox Board of Directors learned about more 
covert Tucker Carlson texts that were peppered with highly offensive and crude remarks directed at executives. These texts were said to be so offensive, Fox didn't know whether to fire Carlson or to give him another hour on primetime. It's easy to forget how much Tucker Carlson has accomplished over his career. He's been fired by Fox, CNN, MSNBC, and PBS. That's like the EGOT of cable news. That's called the EGOT Fired is what it is. Did you know I forgot he worked for me? He know he got fired by PBS? He called Big Bird a gay chicken and they had to let him go. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel talking about the firing of Tucker Carlson. Uh, Fox let him go this past week. Uh, tell you what, I am, uh, you know, I should have played Cool in the Gang, Celebrate Good Times, Come On, you know. Uh, because I tell you something, this guy was, he's probably one of the worst individuals who have uh, graced the face of this planet. And people can say what they want to say about Tucker Carlson, and people can say what they want to say what I'm about to say about Tucker Carlson. I really don't care. At the end of the day, what it's all about is that this guy was a liar, and he knew that he was spewing lies, but yet still, he still continued to do it. Uh, Johnny D, man, give me your thoughts on Tucker Carlson and his nonsense. You know, Jay, this is going to be a pretty brief segment because I really have no thoughts. Uh, you know, the, these correspondents uh, with Fox and some other news outlets are such liars, man, that they created the, the they, they created the atmosphere for January the 6th. So, again, I don't really have any commentary of uh, I really don't. I, I, I defile them. I think they're disgusting, and uh, that's all I have to say. We can talk about Jerry Springer. Well, l- l- well, wait a minute now. L- let's think about this now for a second, because when you think about what happened, and this is a major story. So, so I mean, I, <laughs> Jerry Springer, that's interesting. Uh, with with Tucker Carlson, okay, and the whole Fox thing, you know, people, Fox is trying to make people think that the reason why they got rid of Tucker Carlson was because he says some, you know, some outrageous things and, you know, all of a sudden they have scruples. That's, that's it's garbage. The reason why they got rid of Tucker Carlson was because, first of all, they just got hit with a damn near $8 million lawsuit that they lost to Dominion voting machines. Um, there are three more cases, I think, either two or three more cases pending against Fox News, and one in particular with a former producer of Tucker Carlson, uh, of his show. Uh, and then, you know, it's all about, you know, the almighty dollar. They're having, they're trying to renegotiate their cable contracts, and this is something that I did not know, that, you know, Advertisers when they're when they're tra- when, when these cable news stations or cable channels negotiate with you know uh, you know with Xfinity and all these major cable providers, you know they're asking for X amount of dollars from certain amount of commercials that are being shown uh, on that TV on that uh, cable network. And the problem that you're running into is that a lot of the major advertisers don't want to do business with Fox during Tucker Carlson's uh, spot. And so now, you know, you can't go in and negotiate with Time Warner and all these big cable outlets when they are leery because advertisers don't want to deal with with uh, this guy and his lies. And we know they were lies because, you know, with text and, you know, these texting emails were revealed that they didn't believe none of this stuff. 
but they kept pushing it because it was catnip to their base. Well, now he's out of a job. Now, I heard he has spoken since he's been departed or ousted, um, but people around Fox felt that Tucker Carlson felt that he was bigger than the network himself. And so now, like Jimmy Kimmel said, this guy has been fired from all the cable news networks. But now hearing that RT, which is, you know, everybody knows what RT is, that's a, uh, uh, that's a Russian news channel, they have offered him a spot to come over there and work for them. Are you surprised by that? Since all he does is spew Russian propaganda, talking about why should he hate Russia, Russia hasn't done anything to him. He is a joke, man. And I just can't believe that the country that we live in is, is we deal with stuff like this. Go ahead. Well, it, it's about, you know, sensationalism as far as journalists. You know, they, they realize that, you know, you can walk in the gray and be successful. Uh, yes, Tucker Carlson has, and I didn't know that, you know, again, I don't follow his commentary and, and don't follow him as an individual. So I didn't realize his history was such that, he had been uh, fired from so many other networks. But, again, this is the thing. He was fired and rehired only to make more money and have a bigger audience. So what you, what you will have is some right-wing group who will put him on some syndication, and they will put him out there, and he will be un, untempered then, which means now he can say whatever he wants to because he already has a following. Okay, you know, you, you, you can – what Tucker Carlson and the rest of them will do is, yeah, they won't fight Fox uh, head on. It's like Bill O'Reilly and all of those individuals when they was removed from Fox. They didn't contest that because they understand the long arm of that network. But what they have done is they went on and did other type of broadcasts, uh, and they're just as successful. Now, of course, their commentary becomes more radical because they don't have all of the the oversight um that it, it, it may require. So this Russian uh, network, I, I think, is nothing more than just propaganda. You know, I think that's just another way to get out. Yeah, even though, you know, you would think that he was, um, you know, some, some, some agent, uh, some operative agent for Russia because of his, his heightened sense of popularity for Putin and support of, of Trump, at least on air. But those text messages sold differently – and again, it's about hypocrisy. He was willing to say anything he needed to say in order for the ratings and to fuel this this cause. And so, again, just another vile individual. And, and don't I don't follow him. Will not follow him. Uh, but I think that he will have an audience always because he's already got the support. And he'll just divert his attention to a a, a podcast or something. And and still create this type of habit, you know. So I don't think that that you heard the last of him. I don't think that you've heard the last of his type. He really, what it is, it should be, it it, it should be a testimony against all of the ones that have get up, gotten up there and lied and done the same thing. But it's not going to be. So you know, again, uh, I I just hope that uh, you know at some point journalism becomes more authentic. That's uh, that's well said. You know, when you think about, um, you know, not only Tucker, but you have Sean Hannity. You have uh, the only person on Fox that's halfway decent is Neil Cabuto. I mean, he he, you know, he he kind of calls it like he sees it a little bit. And even when he does 
people on his own network comes after him. You know, they should just take the news off of Fox because it's not news. It's, it's, it's not. But, you know, I've heard people say on the right, well, listen, MSNBC is no different. You know, you got Rachel Maddow and, you know, Lawrence O'Donnell and, and you know, and all those individuals. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll give you some of that. But at the end of the day, they don't spew lies. You know, you can, listen, you can disagree with me politically. That's fine. But don't lie. Don't lie. You know, I'm not going to come on this show and say something that I don't believe. I'm just not going to do it. And we don't, Agreed. our footprint is nowhere near as massive as, as most of these big folks out there. But we're not going to come on the air and lie. We're not going to come on the air and say things that we know that are not true. I mean, and, but, but these people are so gullible. We've had listeners, loyal listeners to this show, start drinking the Kool-Aid. And then they'll be in the chat room spewing all types of nonsense. Once again, you can disagree with me politically. But let's not spew lies. Trump didn't. And here's the thing that makes it so ridiculous, Johnny, is the fact that when you look at, just break it down. So all of a sudden, the Dominion voting machines only messed up when Democrats won. But when the Republicans won, no one, they worked fine. That's not even possible. If the machine is flawed, if you follow their concept, Hawk, then at the end of the day, God dang it, it's flawed for both. So why are they not asking for recounts when Republicans won? It's just, it's ridiculous. And you ask yourself the question, how can someone of sound mind and judgment be so gullible on this kind of nonsense, man? How? You know what, Jay? I, I tell you, uh, uh, Americans in America, uh, and, and I said Americans and America, okay, are well-educated persons. Uh, now, again, you got that segment who are uninformed, but for the most part, we're going to figure it out. And these these individuals uh, like the Tucker Carlson's, uh, what what they simply do is they feed on the the bigotries, but also the divisiveness that people want in their lives. You know, uh, first and foremost, what the format is to villainize the person. Okay, once you villainize the person, then you bring that fear element. And then once people start fearing, that's when the anger comes in. And, and they feed off of that, and they keep fueling it. And it's not that a lot of people truly, truly believe it, okay? Now, you've got a small segment to even today. I'm amazed that when I talk to some people and I'm like, you really believe that, what was said. Mm. And so, you know, you got that, that audience who believes what they hear and what they read. And I, I must say, you know, there's some media sources now that if I read something, I have to go back and say, you know, let me let me follow this up with another uh, more credible source because the authenticity may not be there. So journalism now is is hit or miss. I mean, you know, you might see a, a, a YouTube. You might I, I don't do the other social media networks, so I'm limited as far as that goes. So I don't know what other misinformation might be out there. What they have done is just taken it to a whole different level because they utilize it for people who tune in every day to hear these commentaries because that is a news source. 
You look at the local news, you get your local news, okay? Most of your local news is full of crime and killings and robberies, some human interest story, and the weather. And then after that, you look at the national. Well, it's not a lot of national news networks that are coming in with, with, with news information that's not distorted one way or the other because we put right. an element of politics in it, and we have allowed the journalists to get away with that. And because, mm-hmm. you know, certain times of the year it's even more popular, now there goes your sponsor. Because I know yep. I've got 5 million people listening to this individual here, so the sponsorships go. And then all of a sudden your influence goes. And now you want some college book tour running around speaking to college students, and now they're out there promoting it. Or they also protest it. And what you generally have is just disorder and disruption. Conflict conflict seemingly drives interest in this nation. It's got to be a conflict. Somebody's got to be at war. Somebody's got to be the enemy. Somebody, someone has to be the villain in every story. And these predators, they feed off of that, and they profit off of it. And profit is popularity in this country. So Tucker Carlson will reemerge himself uh, right now. I cannot think of Jay's favorite commentator. I think his name is Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Oh, man. Same, oh, my goodness. Same, same type of Ugh. energy, Ugh. same type of deception, same formula. Oh, so when they saw how it worked for him, then because – if I recall, he really was one of the first, if not the first, to get out there and start using political misinformation to fuel his popularity. Now, there may have been another pride to him, but I'm, he kind of yeah. mastered it. And now you got these little junior leaguers out there just simply saying, I'm going to follow that format. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Look at you go. Junior leaguers. I like that. That's exactly what they are. Now, also this week, Don Lemon lost his job. Um, listen, I've never been. I don't watch CNN anyway, so I really, you know, I guess what I'm about to say maybe it's not fair. I just was never a, uh, I was never a big fan of Don Lemon, and when he moved into the morning to that morning slot, I think they did that for ratings. I'm like, okay, I don't think he's going to work. Uh, in the morning. I think that you have some folks that should work in the evening because, you know, you have more of an audience that's really locked into, you know, what they believe and what they want to get. But in the morning, folks are usually trying to get up and get going. So maybe CNN is on. I don't know. I just, it didn't work. But, but, but what I'm hearing now that I've done some research on this, he's said some things, you know, in the past. And so when he made the comments about Nikki Haley, uh, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And then so all of a sudden he goes to social media saying that they fired him and didn't have an opportunity to come talk to them. And then CNN has come back and said, no, that's not true. We asked them to come in and talk to, uh, to the, uh, to, to management. So now once again, you have a, he say, he say type thing. And, you know, this is supposed to be a reputable news organization. Who's lying here. Somebody's lying. So at the end of the day, no matter what happens, you have to start looking at them with a side eye. Either CNN is not telling the truth or Don Lemon is not telling the truth. And the last thing, as a news broadcaster, 
you know, your credit, if your credibility is shot, then it's hard for you to ever be in a situation where you can give news again. Because at the end of the day, people are like, you lied once, you'll lie again. Who knows if it's true or not? What say you about this whole thing with Don Lemon and CNN? You know what's, what's interesting is uh, I MSNBC, I think, is too extreme. Fox, too extreme. CNN used to be the station that I would watch to have some balance. And I, I no longer watch them. Uh, I, I thought two of the worst hours of television was when uh, Como and Don Lemon came on back to back. I mean, I just oh, thought really? that was the worst. I, I really did. Uh, and, of course, that's when I started uh, really looking at, like, the Vice Channel, and that's become one that I look at quite often now. Uh, okay. So Don Lemon, I, I think what was interesting, now they don't show news sources, okay? Sometimes they, they do you know, vice news at night, but that runs almost like seasonal. So that's not um, something that, that you see every night. But but what's interesting is how strong he said the comments against, uh, you know, Nikki Haley. I mean, you know, yeah. it was almost, you know, it, 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 was, it was a strong commentary. And I could go to a place with that, but I'm not going to go to a place with that right there. Uh, like I say, in respect of you know certain demographics, I, I, I'll, I'm not going to go where I, I really go. Uh, Jay, I, I'll me and you can talk about that one off air. But his, his commentary was so strong that that it was almost like if 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 you well, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to stay away from that one right there. But <laughs> but yeah, like <laughs> just I say, keep running into yeah, roadblocks, huh? Yeah, <laughs> you keep exactly, running into yeah. roadblocks. Yeah, uh, because that that one right there, Jay. Like I say, it it will. It will ultimately uh, be something that I will come not to regret, but regret. So I'm gonna leave that. I'm gonna leave my comparison uh, out <laughs> okay. of it. But you know, Don Lemon, like I said, he was just so strong when he made that comment, and he he made some 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 comments that I I certainly don't agree with. I don't agree with a, a lot of his views and and uh, the way that he 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 does his his whole broadcast and the emphasis and the points of emphasis that he makes on certain aspects of of who he is and in and, and, and America in and of itself, you know. So, you know, there again, like I say, Don Lemon will move on and he will find another opportunity. And uh, everybody, everybody gets a second chance uh, in, in this, in this world, in this country. I just hope that, you know, his, his next opportunity is one that he takes, uh, some, you know, some some lessons learned. You know, again, that there is conflict about his his decision to email or text. You know, yeah. his, his views on what the meeting was about. And as an employer, if if I request to see you, and you decide you're gonna send me, you know, some communication again, none of it's validated, like you said, Jay. Uh, right, you know, right. I, I would, I would take exception to that, particularly when I'm paying you the amount of money that I am to be a correspondent, and th- and this is the best that you can get me. But at some point, the truth will reveal itself, and yep. let alone there'll be someone to replace him as well. So uh, yeah. I would say, yeah, yeah. And, and I don't, and I don't know how. You know, listen. I mean, his comments on Nikki Haley. I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, so I'll just say that, you know, whatever. I think sometimes we, we be a little too sensitive 
but then the same person that he directed his comments towards, uh, then she comes out and says that, you know, really this is uh, a, really a campaign for Kamala Harris because if you vote for Biden, you vote for Kamala Harris because Joe Biden's going to die before his four years are up. I mean, so these people are ridiculous. And, you know, and so uh, it's just it's amazing how adults react that have children. And you ask yourself, you know, when a baby's born into this world, uh, they, you know, they don't know what racism is. They don't know what hate is. That's taught. And so you realize that, you know, you have these people that are parents who are, you know, have children, and the reason why this stuff goes on and on and on and on is because you have these individuals that are walking the earth and, and, you know, saying these things that they say. And you just ask yourself, man, what the hell is going on with some of this nonsense? It really and truly is ridiculous. Wow, wow, wow. All right, folks. Show's getting off to a great start. 347-850-1272 is our calling number. You're listening to the Serious Sound on a beautiful Sunday. Hopefully, the weather is great in your neck of the woods, but you know what time it is. It is time for, in four minutes or less, something that you need to know. Now, the U.S. murder clearance, our solve rate, have hit an all-time low, experts say, Mutual mistrust between police and some communities is creating a vicious cycle where unsolved killing breeds more mistrust. So in this week's edition of In Four Minutes or Less, something that you need to know, more people are getting away with murder. And the unsolved killing rate is at a record high. It's Kavina time. In Four Minutes or Less, something that you need to know. We'll be right back after this. Don't you go anywhere. The record number of murders across America are going unsolved. The rate at which murders nationwide were solved or cleared has dropped to around 50%. That's a record low. And several cities have seen the number of murder cases resulting in at least one arrest dip into the low 30% range. And here's Eric Westervelt has our story. Through 10 years of hard work, Artel Jun Anabo Jr. and his cousin Mark Legoski turned their uncle's old deli in Oakland's Fruitvale neighborhood into a thriving and much-loved Filipino fast food restaurant called Lucky 3-7. Last May 18th, around 9.45 p.m., as Jun Anabo Jr. was leaving the restaurant after another long day, someone came up behind him, pulled out a handgun, and shot him. He died at the hospital shortly after. Jun's 11-year-old son, Cousin Legaspi says with a heavy sigh, was right next to his dad when the gunman attacked. He saw everything. I'm just glad he ran the other way instead of following his dad, so, you know, because he could have got caught in the line of fire. Worsening the pain for the entire family is the fact that almost a year later, the killer is still out there. Oakland detectives released security cam footage and the license plate number of the suspected getaway car. And the family says they have a potential lead, a man who sold Jun a truck that turned out to be stolen. But so far, no arrests in his cousin's death. In fact, Legaspi says the family feels ghosted by Oakland's homicide detectives. I haven't had any word. I mean, I, I did make, try to make a couple calls. I didn't get no answers. I mean, it's almost here. I would like to know something, you know, if there's anything, you know. Even if they didn't do anything, that would be nice to know instead of us hoping. 
Legaspi's frustration is shared by hundreds of families of murder victims in Oakland and across the country whose cases remain unsolved. Well, I certainly don't believe in anyone getting away with murder. You know, these cases are never closed. We never give up, you know, and I also think that we can only get better. Drennan Lindsay is a deputy chief of police in Oakland. Last year, the city's homicide clearance rate was just 36%. If you take out the handful of older cold cases that were solved during 2022, the clearance rate here was just 27%. Drennan says too many cases per officer for her 16 detectives and an antiquated case management data system are key reasons behind the painfully low clearance rate. But the biggest one, Lindsay says, is too many people are scared to talk with and help the OPD. People don't want to cooperate. People don't want to come to court and testify. And they're afraid of retaliation. They're afraid of being labeled in their communities as a snitch. And we're often left trying to plea and beg for the community to come forward with information to hold this person accountable for committing murder. But that mistrust is also bred by the department's chronic dysfunction. The department remains under federal oversight and has for two decades. And recently, veteran Oakland homicide detective Thong Tran was arrested and arraigned after the local DA accused him of paying a witness thousands of dollars to lie in a murder case that resulted in two men getting life sentences. Detective Tran faces felony charges of perjury and bribery. Those two murder convictions have been tossed out. His attorney calls the charges baseless and lashed out at the DA for treating, quote, murderers like heroes. But the Alameda County DA's office says it is now reviewing at least 125 Oakland murders Detective Tran investigated. Meantime, back at Oakland's Lucky 3-7 Filipino restaurant, Mark Legaspi says he doesn't blame Oakland detectives per se. They're overworked and overwhelmed, he says, but he wants answers. And so does his murdered cousin's son, now 12, who was, of course, deeply shaken by watching his dad get shot and killed. He's doing good. He's an honor roll. Just got to keep that love with him every, every day, you know? The family plans to honor June with a gathering at the restaurant on the upcoming anniversary of his murder, but they'd rather celebrate a break in his case. Eric Westervelt, NPR News, Oakland. Oh, those boys are much too much. Those boys are much too much. We got the spirit. We're hot. We can't be stopped. We got the spirit. We're hot. We can't be stopped. We're going to beat them and bust them. The smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Online radio at its best. The white woman who accused 14-year-old Emmett Till of whistling at her and making sexual advances has died. Those claims made by Carolyn Bryant Dunham led to Till's kidnapping and gruesome murder in 1955. The coroner's office in Louisiana says that she died in hospice care Tuesday night after suffering from cancer. She was 88 years old. Till's kidnapper and murderer became, well, his murder and the kidnapping became a catalyst, as you know, for the civil rights movement when his mother, Mamie Till Mobley, insisted on an open casket funeral after his brutalized body was pulled from that river in Mississippi. Donham had long insisted that she bore no responsibility for Till's murder, but civil rights activists and others called for her prosecution, accusing her of targeting Till. 
It's uh, 10 minutes before the top of the hour, 50 minutes after at the bottom of the hour. It's the serious side on a beautiful Sunday. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I tell you what, one of the most profound um, moments in American history uh, when uh, the casket of Emmett Till was was uh, displayed for the world to see. Um, and I tell you what, I visited the uh, African American African American Museum uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, back when my uh, when we had a uh, army reunion of, of my family uh, of uh, you know a unit we were a part of, brother, back in the day. Um, and I visited that display, and when I tell you that uh, it was so significant. Uh, it was something that I would never, ever, 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 ever forget. Um, but the woman who who started all this, the woman who accused him of, uh, you know, whistling at her, uh, she died. And for me, I don't know how I feel about this, because on one hand, you say, well, good riddance to her, but she lived to be 88 years old. She never paid a price for what she did. And, you know, we talk about this country, you know, we talk about the hypocrisy. The last segment we talked about, you know, the nonsense with Tucker Carlson and all these different things, man. And, and you just sit back and wonder, how was she able, Johnny, to, John, to get away with this? You know, she lied. And, and this young man was murdered because she lied and said, um, this this boy whistled at her, and I think, and and hopefully I'm getting the story uh, correct, that she was make, trying to make her husband. I don't know what, I don't know what possessed her to do this, but we just talked about how Muhammad Ali beating up white folks, talking white folks crazy, but Emmett Till whistles. Well, he didn't, but she said he did, and they found him, beat him. I think they put some type of radiator or some type of industrial fan around his neck and threw him in the river. I, I, I just, man, this story just saddens me, man. What, what? And she was able to live her life, you know. And um, yeah. I, and I remember watching a uh, 60 Minutes uh, special where Ed Bradley was trying to interview her. Her sons pulled up and. You know, they were all, you better get off our property. I mean, I, I don't know, man. I just, uh, what say you, brother? I just, this thing, just, it's just it's sad to me when I, when I think about this yeah. whole thing, to be honest with you. You know, let's, I, I, let me start with uh, Muhammad Ali, because I, I know exactly where your spirit is going with his commentary to the perceived power. Muhammad Ali spoke facts. He just so happened to be articulate and, in some instances, uneducated in English dialect. So people yeah. would would assume that it was it was rambling. But the truth of the matter is, is that he had a different way to articulate and a different rhetoric. But he spoke yeah. the truth. You, you understand yes. what I'm saying? So. Yeah. When, when even when he made you know the comparison about you know lightning Vietnam, and oh, okay. yeah, and 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 and, the, and even Vietnam and and the Viet Cong has never called me you know uh, uh, the N word. He spoke yeah. truth, okay. So I think yeah. that's why God put that anointment over Muhammad Ali, and 
I have to, uh, I share the same admiration that you share with him in regards to his significance in American history. Now, let me also look at the 88 years of torment, okay? I don't necessarily see the soul of a person knowing how you can bring an innocent life into a destructive sense where the killing of a young man at your belief that you are the pinnacle of American beauty, that this gentleman looked at you and whistled at you in racist America in Mississippi in the 1950s, okay? So you must feel pretty good about yourself, one, to make that claim and then stick with it. But I don't necessarily see it as 88 years of life. I see it as 88 years of torment. You know, sometimes we will have to live through our shame because that's what God sees. You know, there's a reason why she was able to live like that. There's a reason why the Storm Thurmans and stuff lived as long as they had. Yeah, you may think that they was tormenting others, but think about how unrest it must be when you know that you've done wrong. And wow. as most people do, when they start getting in, 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 in the last days of their life, they start to reflect on the things that, that, that you did in your youth and that we do in our youth. And that's why you have more seniors in church because they understand the sins of their past. And now they're trying to repent for that because in the end, they want to, they, they, they want to see glory. But I think that she was tormented, you know, and, and the fact that she, mm. she hid out for so long in wow. the state that I live in. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you're talking about less than, you know, less than several hundred miles. She hid out in her shame because you can't you can't be part of American culture and history and not know the story of Emmett Till. You can't be a mother and not weep, whether you black, Asian, Hispanic, Latino, or whatever nationality, you cannot sit back and see that young man's story and not weep for him as a mother for one and then as a human being for another. So like I say, I look at that as being eighty eight years of torment and not 88 years of life. Wow. I, I tell you what, man, uh, I never looked at it from that perspective. Um, never. I, I, wow. I just, that's profound. I, I don't know even, I don't, I don't even have a response for that because what you're saying makes all the sense of the world. I, wow. I don't know, man. I, <laughs> very rarely am I at a loss for words, but I am because I never looked at it from that perspective. I never looked at the fact that every day you have to wake up. But here's my re, here's my re, my re, my rebut to that. That's if you have any scruples, because there are people you know we just heard, which is something I never really do, never really comment on you know uh, the uh, uh, the four minutes or less uh, segment, but we just heard about all of these unsolved murder cases. And there are people running around here to this day that have killed folks and have gone on to live lives and been happy and chilling and all this other stuff. So if you don't have any scruples, it doesn't even matter. If you're not a decent person at heart, 
then did she really live in torment? And I don't know the lady. Did she really live in torment, or did she say, hey, I don't care? I watched the movie, um, one of the movies I watch all the time, and I don't know why, because a lot of people say they can't watch movies you know, from, you know, period movies from back in the day because it gets them so upset with white folks when it, you know, when racism and things are like that are displayed. I went back, I watch almost probably at least once or twice a month, Mississippi Burning. Don't ask me why, I just do. I, I just, and, and, and what gratifies me, what, what gratifies me is how these people, how they get these cats in the, at the end. And I remember the one scene when uh, uh, Gene Hackman, uh, he was an FBI agent. He had gone to this um, illegal juke place where they were drinking booze. It was a dry county, but they were, you know, they were doing bootlegging. And he was talking about, talking to these cats. And this one guy said, you know, he asked me, he said, would you kill? That guy said, I would, he said, he said, I wouldn't think I'll ring. He said, it'd be like ringing the cats. And I wouldn't think nothing about it. Talking about killing African-Americans. So I guess my rebuke to you would be, but what if she wasn't, what if she wasn't a decent person? What you're saying makes sense. But if she wasn't a decent person, she, you know, I mean, hell, she lived 88 years and then she eventually died. So what's the, give me, talk me off that ledge because I'm thinking, well, what if she didn't give a damn, then, you know, whatever. I mean, she didn't live in torment if she didn't care. You know, that could very well have been the case, but I'm just a person who believes in redemption. And I think everyone wants to be redeemed in some form of fashion. Now, let, let, let me say this here. Mississippi Burning is a movie that I don't care if there's two minutes left in the movie or it begins at the credits. Yeah. I I look at the movie, okay? Um, yeah. I know the scene that you're talking about. I know the mm-hmm. lack of remorse and the hate and disdain that was depicted in the movie. Right. Several years ago, um, I launched an initiative and I partnered up with one of our federal agencies that has that had greater resources than I. And I went back to 1965 where okay. there were citizens in this state that had escaped custody, okay? okay, and launched a mission, and it was 50-some individuals. Now, some of them had deceased because this mm-hmm. would have been in 2013, 14 time frame. Well, at okay. the end of this initiative, out of the 50-some, 20-some of them was brought back to custody. Okay. There was a gentleman who had escaped custody back in two, um, 1971, 1972, somewhere in that time frame. Okay. And when when he was brought in, he said, "Who who who's in charge of this? And, you know, they pointed me out, and what the man said, shot everyone in the room. He sat back and he said, thank you. He, he said, said, thank you. Thank you. He oh, said, wow. Because I've been having to live with myself and what oh, I wow. did for 40-some years in deception. He said, now my family know, 
He said, but more than anything, I can now look at myself in the mirror. Now, I've always said this right here, and Jay, I think you educated me this when I was, you know, 19, 20 years old doing what I was doing. And I remember you always talked about that man in the mirror. Okay? Yeah. You can't lie to that person. And I think in this instance here, when people really do wrong, in their weaning hours, man, who do they seek out? When their body is hurting, who do they seek out? When unrest comes into their life, who do they seek out? I've Mm. seen people who I thought was non-believers who will sit back and say, thank you, God, or oh, God. So I, I think that when that happens, people people want to be redeemed. I, so there are some ungodly people. But I think most people want to be redeemed. And, again, I go back to the specialness of a woman, a woman who bears children, a mother. A mother is going to always be a mother whether she minds or yours. And at the end of the day, right. if she births children, she has a degree of compassion for children. Now, I know there's some mothers who have birthed their children up. I've seen that, okay? So you've mm-hmm. got that degree. But I think in this instance right here, I have to believe that that was 88 years of torment oh, wow. versus 88 years of life. Wow. That's uh, that's deep, man. And, and uh, thank you for, for the clarity on it. And, and you're right. I'm looking at it through a different lens now. Um, but it's just... But, yeah, and for that one individual, you're absolutely correct. But when you think about society as a whole, the fact that the people that were responsible for his murder pretty much got away with it. You know, and if you look at, you know, think about, you know, we talk about the movie Mississippi Burning. You know, I just remember when they brought all, brought all these cats up for, uh, for trial, uh, and, uh, you know, the judge, you know, talked about how uh, he gave them suspended sentences. It was just America during that time period, man, was something that uh, the shame uh, uh, to, to be a part of a nation that would treat a certain class of people the way they did. And it's being glossed over in history books. Um, you, you know, I know my children probably don't know about some of this stuff, and it's like, God dang it, man. You know, I mean, I was going to talk about uh, earlier uh, in the show about a comment or some comments that Morgan Freeman made uh, about it's uh, – he talked about it's a disgrace to 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 say Black History Month or, or, uh, or call, you know, folks African-Americans. And, and when I first saw the headline, I'm like, uh-oh. Oh, okay. But then I read it. And what he said pretty much was, you know, it's a disgrace to label our history to one month. You know, you should be so celebrating it all year round. Absolutely. And, and when I Absolutely. and when I saw the comment, when I saw the headline, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm great to yeah, mm-hmm. I know Jerome accuses accuses us of, of this black-on-black crime. I was like, oh, I'm going to get him. You know, but then I read it, and I realized what he was saying and the purpose of what he was saying. So it's just, man, I tell you, just the profound, um, this this whole thing with this lady living her full life, I feel a lot better now after talking to you because I was like, man, this chick lived her whole life. Uh, there were no issues with her. Uh, she she lived that life. She was able to live a full life. Emmett Till died because of a lie that she told, 
and you know she was able to live a full life. But now that uh, now that uh, I've spoken to you, sir, I'm looking at it a different light. Appreciate it. Thank you so so much. All right, three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. It's time to step out, and uh, it is time for Marianne Music Music Corner Part One. Oh, just. Oh, man, looks like the smartest man in the world has arrived. All right, we'll hear from Jerome on the other side. You're listening to the serious side of the J. Rouse Show, 347-850-1272. More of that and Jerome on the other side when we come back. Today, nearly one in five Americans are living with a mental health condition. 
from our children and grandparents to our veterans, coworkers, and neighbors. For all of us, our mental well-being is just as important as our physical health. But unfortunately, most of us don't know how to recognize the signs that someone is in emotional distress. And so many of those who are having difficulty can't get the help they need. And together, we can change this. We can start by visiting changedirection.org and learning the five signs that may mean someone is struggling and needs help. And then it's up to us to show compassion, to reach out, connect, help folks find the hope and the support they need. Together, we can change the story about mental health in America. Together, we can change direction. Online radio at its best. Turning now to Capitol Hill, where Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts has declined an invitation to testify at a congressional hearing regarding ethics rules for members of the Supreme Court. The call for a hearing come after reports that Justice Clarence Thomas took trips paid for by a wealthy Republican donor. Welcome back in 347-850-1272. It's a serious out on a beautiful Sunday. Glad you guys are here with us. I'm here with my main man, Mr. Johnny D, and the place to be in, as I mentioned before the break. The one and only, the smartest man in the world, Mr. Jerome Spree, has graced us with his presence. Good morning, Jerome, man. How you be? Yes, sir. Good morning, man. Hey, Johnny. How you doing, bro? Been, been on together in a while. I tell you what, Jerome, I, I was disappointed last week when I wasn't able to hear the smartest man in the world, but thank God God has brought I'm waiting to hear from you, man. I tell you what, sometimes I listen to the show and sometimes I, I, I'm sitting there tempted to call in, so I may miss it, but I always, always respect your commentary, man, and just glad that you're part of, of this broadcast. Hey. It's really part of my life. I really am. Man, I, I really appreciate that. You know, I think that um, all of us kind of working together, we kind of miss each other when we're not on uh, doing the show, but I know we're taking up showtime doing this, but seriously, it, it's one of those things, when LES is not here or you're not there, you know, sometimes I'm like, where's Kathleen? You know, we just kind of, it's it's a team, it's a team, man, that inspires each other to words, so that's cool, I'm glad you're here. Absolutely, absolutely, definitely appreciate you. Uh, I tell you what, the, the love. Let's tell you what, folks. I tell you, we we are genuine all the way through. We tell you this all the time. This is us. This is who we are. We appreciate you being a part of the conversation. So you heard the, the lead. Uh, you know, once again, last week I mentioned. I said, okay, was it last week or maybe the week before? No, it was last week. I said, if you'd have told me, you know, two years ago, that I would have a show or we would have a show that we would be talking about Clarence Thomas damn near every other week. I'd have called you a lie. I said in the first 10 years of the serious side, I think we may have mentioned that clown maybe once or twice. Now we're talking about him every other week. And here we go again, Justice, you know, Clarence Thomas. We're finding out that this guy is more and more involved in controversy and that the Supreme court thinks that they are above the law. So now Congress is saying we need to get involved. And so who do we want to talk to? We want to talk to the boss. Chief Justice Roberts, come in and talk to us. Guess what? He declined to appear. So now this goes to what we've been saying all along about the nonsense that goes on in this country of ours. We want to talk about us. We're the home of the free and the brave, but yet still we don't act like it. 
to me, the justices act as if they are above the law, that they can do what they want to do. And, Jerome, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this. This guy is not going to appear in front of a board that their number one priority is to make sure that we're doing things the right way. He won't appear in front of uh, he won't appear for that hearing. He respectfully declined. Now, what does that tell us about the Supreme Court and Justice right. Thomas and Justice Roberts? Right. Well, again, it goes back to um, Garland and Obama and Mitch McConnell, right? So he he would not allow a sitting president to put in a Supreme Court justice to keep just to keep balance on the court, right? All fairness honestly sits on the Democratic side. They're the only ones who think about playing by the same rules. So when they stack the court and they start getting radical and start, you know, doing unethical things, now they don't want to, they want to break, not, it's not the law that they're breaking. They want to break the quorum and the impression of fairness they don't care about. And our problem as a society, we keep, expecting there to be some kind of norm. But there's rules for those people who have power and those who don't have power, right? At some point as a society, we have to demand that there's equity. So just like in the last conversation with the woman with the Emmett Till thing, I know everybody's like, some, some people from what I've heard are relieved, and it's like, well, she passed and we can let this go. I say, dig her up. Have a nice little whatever, and black people need closure. We cannot keep going on as a society and not closing out injustice. Mm-hmm. So when you have yeah. somebody like, when you have somebody like Clarence Thomas flaunting that, you had Donald Trump flaunt that in front of everybody for years, and yep. then you expect everybody else to play by some sort of rule. You're that's just maddening, right? When the law breaks the law, there is no law, right? And we have to adhere to that because now we can't even get mad at these kids for not having respect for authority because authority don't have have respect for authority. Mm, Look at that. So at some point we have to make our minds up and say, look, okay, fine. You know, I mean, we had a lot of, I don't know if I should say we, there was a lot of faith in Biden, but Biden's law abiding, what he should have done when he came in is say, you know what, we're going to, you guys stole the last three Supreme Court um, appointees. We're just going to increase the court by two. We're going to create some more balance. I'm going to create law back in this piece. Could have done that. Instead, yeah. we keep thinking as they get rid of these rights and these voter rights acts and these all, all these things that they're doing on one side, we keep wanting them to fall back into some type of norm. <laughs> We're literally acting like we're captives, like we're all in jail, and whatever they say we have to do, we have to eat at 12, we have to sleep at 8. Like, we are falling into conservative um, conservative norms, which is crazy. But then when you turn to black folks, you know, specifically, it's like y'all should play by the rules. How come Kyrie won't do something? How come Kanye won't do something? Every time we have conversations, we're con- we having conversations about putting norms around everybody else but the people who are actually breaking law. So I don't know what the answer is to the, qu- to the question, 
but somebody needs to – I mean, Congress, which which won't do until there's a new Congress, but Congress needs to stand up to the Supreme Court and say, okay, since we can't bring you to the table, what we can do is increase the number of justices. And we're going to let this Democrat appoint to the justice, and that will probably shake them a little bit. They need to bring that yeah. back up. If I, was, I, I think that. so. I agree with you on that. I think so. But then people can come back and say, Johnny, well, okay, so if a Democratic president does it, what happens when a Republican president gets in? They can do the same thing, and then, you know, this is an ongoing thing. But but for me, uh, I think the way to, to, to resolve it is just to have term limits. Don't, don't let these guys have a lifetime. You know, they there are federal – okay, we talk about federal judges. You know, federal judges lower than the Supreme Court, there are things in place where you can get those guys out of there. These people that are sitting at the Supreme Court, these cats are like untouchable. It's like we're relying on them to police themselves. And so, you know, once again, this is a situation where, you know, in a way I'm happy that this is happening. And let me explain why. Because what this is really doing is this is pushing the Constitution to its limits. This is that crash test that you perform on that $100,000 car. So when the car gets into an accident, we need to make sure that that car, the safety features on that car can do what it's supposed to do. We're trying to find out, is the Constitution doing what it's supposed to do? So you need somebody like a Donald Trump to come and push it to the limits. Because did nobody anticipate that a, a person of his type of character to ever occupy the Oval Office? And I'm pretty sure no one, no one saw you know, someone of Clarence Thomas's character to sit on the Supreme Court. And it makes me throw up in my mouth when people say, well, you know, it's like we talk about Thurgood Marshall. I mean, stop it. Don't even put this guy, don't even mention his name in the same sentence with that great. Because this guy is a freaking clown. He's an Oreo cookie. He is a freaking clown. And the bottom line is your name is Clarence and you're acting like this. Get away from me with this nonsense. What say you, Johnny? Well, Jay, tell us how you really feel now. <laughs> but, but you know what? Once again, man, I, I'm I'm always taken by the the articulation. Now, now I, I'll say this, and, and Jerome, don't I, I say this in no offense. I may not always agree with Jerome's views. But I respect them because they're well thought out of, and he comes from that inner circle of politics. But now the way that he, he articulated, if the law doesn't respect the law, there is no law. Folks, that's the reality of it. Total power is always dangerous. And and I say term limits, I'm, I would never be opposed to it because I don't think that you give a person an opportunity to have an appointment for life. Knowing that the Supreme Court now doesn't have any ethics rules is is disturbing, but at the same time shocking to me because there probably is not another organization in America that doesn't have some type of ethics and moral guidelines or rules, some standard of conduct, okay? And to think that the Supreme Court has not been governed by that is a concern. Now, I think yesterday when, you know, the, the, 
the Caucasian male introduced the concept of the Supreme Court, they probably had individuals who, again, was looking at governing one another, okay, because they they wasn't taking on African-American and black issues because we didn't matter. So they was looking at, okay, how can we be fair and balanced for one another, okay? And the Supreme Court concept was never put into question until the politics became so glaring with it. And I think that right there is, is the cause and effect of, again, the longevity in which a person can stay on the court. So I agree at some point what body of government will be able to achieve this, particularly when you have such divisiveness, Congress, and then in the Senate, I don't think there will be a unanimous body that will step back and say, okay, let's have term limits. But what we're dealing with now in regards to the Supreme Court and how this group of Supreme Court plus these states that have, you know, the House Senate, uh, I mean, the, 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 the state Senate and the state mm-hmm. House of Representatives, if they are Republican, they are turning back the hands of time, man, to the time in which, what, 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 what is that reprobate talked about, make America great again? See, they want to go back to the time where, you know, that there was, there was colonial rule. That's what they're really trying to do. And, and, and no other state, uh, more so than North Carolina, I mean, here it is years ago when the Supreme Court ruled that they had surgically, surgically manipulated the voting districts. Now they're bringing that argument back up because they control both the North Carolina House and the North Carolina Senate. So mm. literally the governor doesn't have a whole lot of authority because they got the supermajority. So he doesn't really even have the authority to veto anything. So now they've, they've, they've chipped away at uh, female transgender athletes. Now I'm not saying I'm for or against, okay? I'm just saying that these are some of the legislations that, that they have passed. They have allowed people to go without gun permits. Now they're getting ready to tackle the gerrymandering. And they get ready to roll back the district to the point where, again, years ago when the Supreme Court said they surgically, surgically gerrymandered the district in this state here. Now they're bringing it back up in the legislature, in the, in the North Carolina legislature, so they can uh, repeal what the Supreme Court said and then come back and try to redraw the district uh, as we speak. So. I think if we don't have the additional Supreme Court justices, by the time this group finishes up, I'm telling you, we'll be looking at the 30s and the 40s and that type of mindset again. Interesting. I mean, you know, that's 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 interesting that you say that. And when when I, I, I don't know, man. I, for me, when I when I think about how we put our trust in man. Man is flawed. You know, I mean, you know, listen, go back to Adam and Eve. You know, I mean, think about that whole situation. I just don't, I, I'm just, I don't understand how someone could even think that a person would be above approach where they would come in and so this person is, is so moral that we're going to give them the keys to the institution. We're going to allow them to do what they want to do. We're going to allow them to have 
a lifetime appointment, and we're not going to put any rules in place to to govern them. We're going to because they're they're above prestige. They're man. They're weak with sin. So so how do we do this? How can we say it's okay for this to go down? And like you said, you know, I still believe that senators and and people in I think there should be term limits. The president of the United States can only serve for eight years, but people in Congress can serve for 30, 40, 50 years? I mean, think about the situation that's going on with Dianne Feinstein. One of the reasons why the Democrats are not going to try to get a subpoena for Chief Justice Roberts to show up is because Dianne Feinstein, she, she's not – they need her vote, and she's not there. And the only way they can vote to subpoena him is that they need her to be there. But here, here we are with her. You know, I'm kind of dovetailing into her situation. You know, I mean, these people are so old, she needs to retire, but she doesn't want to retire. Look at what happened with uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, they tried to convince her during the Obama administration, hey, why don't you step down? And she died in office, then they gave them an opportunity to put somebody else in place. I mean, my God, man, it's just it's just disgusting. Jerron, I'll give you the last word on this segment. It's just, it's just man, good God, what is up with this place? Jesus. Well, you know, I I understand why they've done why they've done that, right? Because it keeps stability. Think about anything like the electoral college. It is the way for Europeans to keep keep um, keep power for rich people to keep power. Even how the Senate kind of works, right? Each state gets two senators. But you know some of the states like, you know, Mon- not Montana, but um, Wyoming pretty much have more cows than they do people, right? New York City has probably more people than Wyoming does. And those right. two senators have equal um, say as senators from New York. And right. it's the reason why they don't want to give D.C. statehood or Puerto Rico statehood, right? It's a power grab. And so as we keep playing these games in between everything else about how we should, you know, be fair and be equitable, the people who don't have power don't want – the people who have power don't want to lose power. The Mitch McConnells of the world will die in office because they are not going to go. And folks generally on the ground don't like change, right? Strom, right. Did Strom Thurmond ever get out of there? <laughs> like, I don't remember. Exactly. Did he die in office, Strom Thurmond? I think he died. Like, I, I mean, think he retired and he died. Yeah, I think he retired and died. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I'm not a person that believes that, you know, because of your age you can't think. I believe that that how it's supposed to work is that the people get to decide. That's why Republicans keep, um, you know, putting a monkey wrench in voter suppression and voter access. Because how it's supposed to work is the people are supposed to decide. But if you look at polling for a dang near anything, the people are speaking, and those nuts are going against what the people are saying. And the only way that there's a big transformation is for there to be um, some kind of revolution on the ground. I mean, look at what happened in France when they said, oh, we're going to raise retirement age. And they still did Right, but I'm saying I think they work four days a week or something, right? They don't even, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Society is very different, but they will at least come out, and and I guarantee you the people who voted to make that happen, I bet you they all lose. 
when it comes up for when they come up to um to vote again because they're hmm. active right yeah. and we're not active so they that's going to work for a little bit it'll be repealed in this country well, we don't repeal let, me, laws. Let, let me ask you this though let, let me ask you this you said we're not active is the fact that we are active it's just the fact the way it's gerrymandered you know it takes away our power and influence we talk about this on the show all the time. This nation has voted center-left for I don't know how many years, but yet and still you have more Republicans holding uh, you know, the governor's mansion in most states. They're cheating. Right. That's what's right. happening. So, right. So the, right, and to your point, though, like you're, you're saying that we vote center-left. I don't think we're, uh, I mean, center-right, that we are center-right country. I think that people are manipulated center-left. I, I don't. I think people are manipulated. You look at all the stuff that came out in the Fox News stuff with the Dominion stuff. Those guys know that they're lying. I say on this show pretty much every week, Fox News is not news, and people watch Fox News, right? right. And they watch it religiously. And I was on a Carnival cruise one time, and they had nothing but Fox on, right? Exactly. Like you have corporations putting the same, you know, it's programming. I yep. didn't have to go into you know, a general store and have to be manipulated with media that is opinionated news because they're just programming to something. So the problem is, is that we have an uninformed electric, right? And um, I I spoke at a a retreat for a university in this area um, last weekend. And one of the things that I let those kids ask me across the board are things that are going on that are worrying you. And one of the things that one of the students brought up is they, they were worried about Ukraine. And I said, why? Right? Because Ukraine, which is a Soviet state, has – those guys have been fighting for eons. Like, there's always yeah. a war going on. Always. And so you're worrying about something is you being programmed to be worried about something as well. You can be informed, but worrying or, about something that you can't control is just stressing stressing you. People are worried about AI. I'm like, AI is not that smart. It can never be smarter than the human brain. You have fibers in your brain that will stretch from the moon back, right? And AI is only taking data that is actually already submitted by those people who are trying to oppress you. That's why they're trying to get more black people to add content to AI, because AI can't think like you. The problem is, is that you should be smart enough to understand that programming AI to go against that AI. Don't worry about it. You're smart. We can, you know, so all is not lost every time we see something out there. We have to figure out ways to combat it. So when we start talking yeah. about why the, the country is so conservative, they are grasping at straws right now. Right? right? Remember in college, they were like, we're going to do Prop 48. If your grades aren't good, you can't play basketball. Well, that was mm. a, that was a, the mechanism, because you know how Georgetown was. John Thompson was yep. pulling people into Georgetown back in the days. It still didn't work. You still have more black <laughs> basketball than you ever had before. You know, if we take the dumb black people out, we don't have more people who are not black in the NBA. It ain't happening. <laughs> you just have smarter people that play basketball. That's all. Yeah. Smarter black people that play basketball. That's all it is. All right. Sorry about that. Guys, <laughs> man. Good stuff, man. I love it as always. All right. We're going to stop. I take a break. 347 850 1272. We're not done. Hang in there. 
Good stuff going on this morning. Traveling grace from my boy, Mr. Elias, and for Vanessa, hanging out with those Europeans overseas. Can't wait to hear about her journeys when she gets back. The number is 347-850-1272. We'll step out. It's time for part two of Marianne Music's Corner. We'll be up to, uh, we'll be back to finish everything up. You're listening to the serious side. Don't go anywhere. Online radio at its best.
NAACP is committed to equality for all people, especially the equality of foundational black Americans. Every other child gets a chance at economic equality. Every other child gets a chance of living the best life they possibly can. Doesn't he deserve a chance to? Learn more at NAACP.org. Online radio at its best. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two is our caller number. It is the serious out on a beautiful, beautiful Sunday. Hopefully you guys are enjoying Sunday as well. Wherever you are, whether you're on your way to church, on your way back to church, uh, on your way back home from church, I should say. But nevertheless, hopefully you guys are giving it up to the man. I'm Jay Rao, and I'm here with my brothers from another mother, the smartest man in the world, Mr. Jerome Spree is in the house. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm good, man. How are you? Just another day in paradise, my brother, no palm trees. And my other brother from another mother, two weeks in a row, feels so good. Mr. Johnny D in the big place to be. What's going on, man? How are you? I tell you what, I'm doing well. Absolutely enjoying this morning and every morning. But being with two of the brothers uh, is, is pleasing to me. So thank you. Now, thank you. You know, I tell you what, um, I was trying to pull up during the break because a lot of messages came in when they heard that baritone voice of Johnny D in the place to be trying to pull him up, man. But you know, I, I, I announced last week, or maybe it was the week before last, that, that, that the program that I created to pull all this beautiful stuff down crashed. Now I have to fall on the sword, do my push-ups like we used to do in the military. I haven't had time to try to fix this thing. Now I've had this program since this show has been in existence. And so now what I'm trying to figure out is it was it was attached to all these different websites. I don't know how to get those URLs back. So I'm trying, folks, I promise you, but until I get it fixed, I can't read any comments on the air because I can't pull them. So you can always come check it out. Check us out on Blog Talk Radio. I hate giving them props, but this is where the show is uh this is where the show is broadcast from. So if you want to come in and jump into our chat room, by all means, make sure you do that. Uh, but I'm continually trying to work to fix the situation. So I promise you we're on top of it. Jerome, Mr. Jerome is free. Uh, no show today, huh? We're, we're going to take a break. We're coming back uh, next week uh, for uh, on a need-to-know basis. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, sir. We're going to come back with a lot of news and information. So, hey, if you, I know he's having problems with the social media. But if there's some things that we need to talk about, and you send them in, I'll definitely address them. So, oh, know, okay, yeah, definitely, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I wanted to get you. While we have a few minutes, man, give me your thoughts on Harry Belafonte, man. You weren't here when we talked about it at the beginning of the show, man. What do you think about this, oh, the, yeah. the passing of this great civil rights activist and uh, just world-renowned uh, entertainer? Your thoughts? You know, I, I, um, I, I can tell you my. My, one of my favorite movies is Buck and the Preacher. I know I'm about to show my yep. age, and this, I don't know what I was introduced to that. <laughs> I said that too. Because <laughs> you know when they were making westerns back in the day, apparently I wasn't around during the western times. But when they were making it, black people did not star in 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 roles like that. So, but yep. Sidney Poitier, Harry Belafonte, Ruby D, and then it takes me back to a. Um, you know, the Geechee Dan stuff, <laughs> um, Uptown yeah. Reddit. Was it, uh, <laughs> yeah, I said that too, you yeah. Know, <laughs> you know, and so at my, 
when I think of Harry Belafonte, anytime you lose any of those guys, I feel like I'm, I, I don't know. I feel like we're just losing icons that people are just missing, and we're not putting yeah. them up in a space that they need to be. Because he took a lot of that Hollywood money and fought and financed some of the, a lot of the civil yep. rights movement. He fed people. Sure I mean, just the, the impact that he had for our folks where we are right now um, is for people like Harry Belafonte and uh, Mahalia Jackson did the same thing. Um, Dick Gregory yep. did that. I mean, all of those guys. I can't. I don't. I can't believe that we don't have a Mount Rushmore for those people who put in that kind of work. So Harry Belafonte wow. is one of those people always yeah, yeah. look at from that from that vantage point. You know. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I talked about the early the beginning of the show. You know, all of the prominent black figures back in the day. You know, with Muhammad Ali and. Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, I remember that iconic photo of all of them sitting at a table uh, just during the height of the civil rights movement. And you're right about Harry Belafonte. He even gave money to the King family when they were in need of, of cash. So, he, I mean, just once again, man, just a lot of, of uh, like Tom Joyner used to say back in the day, little known African-American history, black history. Yeah. Uh, you know, we try to bring those nuggets to you, man. That's just good stuff, man. appreciate you bringing it up. And I definitely wanted to, you know, get your comments on the Harry Belafonte before we put the curtain down on this show. Appreciate it, man. All right, let's get into the last topic of the morning. Uh, should be a good one. Let's talk about it. Online radio at its best. Let's go and get back to our breaking news as promised because we have learned in the last half hour the former Brooklyn Center police officer convicted of shooting and killing Dante Wright during a traffic stop two years ago released from prison early this morning. Kim Potter has served 16 months behind bars. The remaining eight months of her sentence, that'll be on supervised release. All right. Uh, you know, you heard it. Kim Potter, the officer who mistakenly, according to her testimony, shot and killed uh, Dante Wright. She said she meant to grab her taser, but she grabbed her weapon. We talked about that in detail here on the show when that happened. She was released from prison 4 a.m. They were concerned about her safety. Um, this is, um, you know, according to uh, all news reports, this is normal procedure for people who were convicted of that type of uh, charge and you know, served 18 months, and then it's nothing out of the norm. But because of how it happened and when it happened and who it happened to, uh, we're taking a closer look at this. Let me start with you, Johnny, man, because you know, we have about five uh, about five minutes in this segment. Um, give me your thoughts, man, when you, when you heard that she was uh, released. Um, how do you feel about that? you think it's just to serve or just... What's your commentary? I know you're in law enforcement. It'd be interesting to get your take on this. It's, it's the system. You know, so I, I don't argue against the system that uh, for 30 plus years I've served. Um, not going to say it's always right, but it is fair and partial to what others uh, would have received. So I can't, you know, advocate for her to get any harsher sentence than someone that would have done it uh, differently um, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll go back uh, because I was a regular on the show at that time when this when this incident happened and uh, you know you take a person with 20 years of experience and you think that that is inconceivable that you would grab a weapon instead of 
a, a taser. Yeah. Having both applications, uh, I I can I can see how that would happen. So, although it, it was, you know, she was charged and it, it was criminal at the time, I looked at her initial reaction when that occurred, and I think that she was sincerely remorseful from the time that that weapon went off. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, there are training gaps. You know, there's a dynamic situation going on. Uh, and I say that, you know, based off of my observations in the review, I think that it was accidental. But, again, when it comes down to her sentencing, her sentence and her release is consistent with uh, what others would have received. Yeah, that's what I – yeah, that's what they're saying. It's nothing uh... – I mean, nothing out of the ordinary. Jerome, let me get your take on it, man, before we step out. Yeah, I'm not, I don't see that thing any differently, that we have a system, again, that doesn't allow us to do any kind of healing because we don't get any justice up front. So I've, I've yeah. seen the news reports about her, you know, it's normal to serve, you know, two-thirds or whatever of your time and then yeah. be sent home, but she shot she shot him, right? She came into the wrong house. She used her. I'm sorry, that wasn't her. She she pulled him out the car as they were struggling with a black officer there who was like, what are you doing? We have this under control. There was three officers, and she interjected and pulled a weapon. I don't, I'm not sure how this works, but I don't think you're supposed to taser somebody while other officers are holding the person. I'm not sure how that works. But anyway, she... That was, that was, aggression was on her side, and that is something that we need to deal with as a society. That why do white folks feel fear fear of black people when black people are vulnerable, when they're handcuffed, when they're laying on the ground? What, what kind of fear do you have in you triggered when somebody else is vulnerable? In this case, he wasn't. You know, it wasn't a situation where. He was fighting them. It was just kind of pushing back against him getting out of the car. But just like the other officers said, they had it. And she did not get enough time for her aggression. Again, the law can't break the law either. So it was not justified. So even her getting out earlier, it's just a, it's a slap in the face. And it is kind of lawful because it wasn't something that was unusual that she got out early. But it was it was wrong for them not to take that serious. We do not take black death serious um, in, uh, in European society. I don't care where it is. It's not just the United States. The United States is definitely the, um, the, the epicenter of not taking black people's lives seriously. Well, actually, I can't say that because what they're doing in some of the African countries are crazy, you know, King you know, Leopold and all of that. But history tells us that white folks have a disregard for black bodies and when you see you know the headlines of her getting released early is just a reminder that you don't really get punished um harshly for doing things to black folks you know it's it's almost like the Emmett Till situation you know she 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 dies at, you know and she admits that she she lied um, her husband and the other guy admitted that they killed him after they was released. Like we're getting no justice. So yeah, yeah it's just the same, the other side of the same record, <laughs> right? It's the, it's the B sides that we're yeah. dealing with. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, 
just yeah. We'll step out, take a break. We'll be right back after this. An Astro Weather Service in Florida has confirmed that storm damage in Palm Beach Gardens this weekend was caused by a tornado. Vehicles were flipped over, trees were uprooted. Much of the state remains under a tornado watch today. Weather Service says a risk of tornadoes is also moving north today into the Carolinas. A new social network called Blue Sky is growing in popularity. It casts itself as an alternative to Twitter and has brought in big names like Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and television personality Chrissy Teigen. Here's Derek Carr has more. When Elon Musk bought Twitter last fall and started making changes to the site, it frustrated users. It also spurred other companies to create alternative platforms. Most of those platforms have failed to gain momentum until this week. Blue Sky has been flooded with new signups that include top-name journalists, celebrities, and politicians. It looks just like Twitter, where people can write short snippets that others can then comment on, like, or share. The site was partially funded by Twitter founder Jack Dorsey. For now, Blue Sky is in test mode while it irons out the kinks. That means the only way to get on the site is with an invite or to join the wait list. Dara Kerr, NPR News. Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos is set to meet with President Biden tomorrow. His visit to Washington will be the first by a Philippine president in more than 10 years and comes as the U.S. is seeking to counter China's influence in Southeast Asia. I'm Giles Snyder. This is NPR News. Support for this podcast and the following message come from MD Anderson Cancer Center and the James P. Allison Institute, a new global immunotherapy research and innovation hub. More at mdanderson.org slash Allison Institute. Listen to this podcast sponsor-free on Amazon Music with a Prime membership or any podcast app by subscribing to NPR News Now Plus at plus.npr.org. That's plus.npr.org. Online radio at its best. Well, folks, another show in the books. It's been a pleasure to serve you as always, but you know, we always have to give our people the opportunity to say bye bye, bye bye, and it's time for our final thoughts. And uh, Mr. Johnny D, the place to be, man, final thoughts, sir. Jay, I tell you, uh, and Jerome, like I say, I always appreciate this opportunity, man. Like I say, it really is therapy for me, and it's therapeutic and everything. And I, I've enjoyed the discussion, the topics. Uh, like I say, I've, I've pinched it the last couple of weeks, so I will take my leave until the next time, Jay. But it's always enjoyable, man. Love you. Love the opportunity to come into the homes and uh, look forward to that that one opportunity and space where we all together and can break bread and, you know, share opportunities to meet one another family. That would mean the world to me. And again, God bless you. God bless this broadcast and the people that allow us an opportunity to come into their homes each week. And let's listen after and brother Jerome, uh, I know you all more immediately, and the others, uh, Miss Jackie, and uh, you know, prayers go out to you and your family. So, again, thank you. 
Man, you know, it's been a pleasure, man, for you to be here, man. And, folks, you know, don't worry. I mean, uh, hopefully we can get him to come in every now and then and, 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 and you know, bless us with it, grace us with his presence. I, I think that, uh, you know, I read something uh, the other day uh, that, that said that, you know, it's just a much-needed voice and really missed hearing you on the show. And, and it's just a perspective. You know, when people, when you have young, intelligent African-American men, having conversations. Um, I remember reading this from a long time ago, and I never, you know, because I get forgetful of my old age. I'm like, okay, I'm going to say that on the show. Then, you know, three months later, I forget. But, but you know, it talked about how it's so, it's a privilege to listen to young African-American men. We're not that young, but young African-American men uh, talking and discussing issues of the day. And it's fine being a fly on the wall, and that's what makes it special. So we appreciate you, brother. Um, you know, anytime you can pop in, you know, we're going to be tapping on that door maybe once a month or so to get you in here to say hello to the folks because you do have a fan base that really appreciates the commentary. And I do think that uh, there are young people who are influenced by your words of wisdom. So, you know, I think for us it's important for us to continue to, to reach down to Loves uh, we'll be knocking on your door maybe once or twice a month just to kind of get you in here to say hello. But we appreciate you coming in, man, and stepping in while most of our people are out and about. Appreciate you, love you to death, my man. Smartest man in the world, yes, Mr. Jerome Spree, man. Final thoughts? Yeah, you know, I didn't um, get a chance to talk about, um, I guess, what Morgan Freeman said about, you know. Yeah. Um, not like in Black History Month, or, or what did he say? I can't remember specifically. He said what, what, he, what he said. The headline was uh, Morgan Freeman says it's a disgrace to to say you know Black History Month. But then when you read it, he was like, hey, uh, uh-uh, no, no, it's a disgrace to only have one month recognized as African American history. Yeah, I, that's what. Yeah, that's I remember. Yeah, I remember watching uh, um, an interview where he said that, and I think it was taken, like you said, was taken out of context. I think most yep. people don't realize that Carter G. Woodson, who started Black History Week, who created Black History Month, his intent was that on Black History Month that we, um, throughout the year, we study black history and we get quizzed on it on Black History Month of the stuff that you learned right. all year. And I think oh, that's wow, okay. where he was going back to because Carter G. Woodson's original thing for Black History Week was that you – from what, everything you learned all year, tell us something that you learned about black history during this month. But it's supposed to be, yeah. a, it was supposed to be a year-long learning and then just, re, you know, speaking about on Black History Week or month. So, yeah, he is oh, right. Wow. I think, yeah, I think that the way he said it, he said it like he had a disdain for Black History Month, and that's how white folks will spin stuff if we don't watch our words. But, yeah, it was because it was, it was originally set up to be um, a time that we quiz people for the stuff that they learn all year about black history. That's how it was set up. Well, so, I know that. Shout out. Once again, you get it here. <laughs> yes, sir. Yep. I just wanted to, shout wanted out. to say that because I thought about yeah. it when I heard him mm-hmm. too initially. And I was like, wait a minute. He's coming from someplace else that he that he can't really right. you know, express that in a soundbite. So, yeah. That's all I got to say. Wow. So, like, Elias, Elias is missing... Um, everybody get out and vote. <laughs> you don't have a vote. There you don't you vote, go. you don't have a vote. <laughs> <I'll, you laughs> there you brother. go. I love it. 
<laughs> I love it. And listen, and I'll just, my final thoughts, traveling grace for my dear friend, Val. She's uh, flying. She's an auditor. She's flying all over the country. She's heading to Chicago. So hopefully, by the grace of God, she'll get there uh, in one piece and on time. And uh, we pray for traveling grace for her. And I'll just say, I I just feel so blessed because I got these these brothers that, that, that run this race with me. I, I'm, I'm so indebted. You know, I usually talk about how I'm indebted to the listeners, but I am indebted to these brothers, man, because they just don't know how much they mean to me and how much they fill a void in my life. So, brothers, I love you. And, you know, if there's anything that I can do for you, reach out, step off that ledge because, you know, I'm going to be on the safety net. And on the note, sis, Johnny D is uh, going to be taking another hiatus. We're going to let him close us out today. Johnny, if it's Sunday and we're talking serious stuff, man, what time is it, my friend? It's the serious side of the J. Rouse Show, and God bless you. Folks, it's been a pleasure to serve you as always. So for Vanessa, for Mr. Jerome Esprit, for Mr. Elias, and my main man, Johnny D., I'm J. Rouse, and have a wonderful work week. And remember, if it is Sunday, we're talking serious stuff. It is the serious side. See you next week.